Hi, I'm Simon Devereaux, Director of Global Talent Development at Framestore. And welcome to the Framestore podcast, a learning and talent development focused podcast made by Framestore for Framestore. We're excited to share with you the first of two special episodes celebrating our work on Top Gun Maverick and the show's Oscar, BAFTA and VES Award nominations. Kicking us off this week is my conversation with executive producer Sabrina Gagnon and lead compositor Marco Garcia. Sabrina and Marco take on our specially altered Framestore dailies questions, discussing their experiences on the show, the shots they worked on, creative direction and the palpable team spirit that ran through the project. So that's it from me. We hope you enjoy episode 12 of the Framestore podcast, a Top Gun Maverick special. Welcome back to the Framestore podcast, episode 12, the first of two special episodes celebrating the recent awards nominations for Top Gun Maverick. This includes one Oscar, one BAFTA, and three VES nominations for VFX lighting and modeling. As with all of our special episodes, there's no co-host for this one, rather a specially tweaked version of the Framestore podcast dailies questions. On today's episode, Taking on the Dailies, we welcome back executive producer Sabrina Gagnon and lead compositor Marco Garcia to talk about their experience working on the show. So that's it from me. Welcome to the podcast, Marco, and welcome back, Sabrina. This is great to have you. Hello, hello. Glad to be back. Thank you. So how are you both? Uh, So both Montreal-based? Correct. Yes. Excellent, excellent. And uh, yeah, we're here to talk about Top Gun, which is really exciting. We're in awards season now. So this podcast is recorded before the winners are announced. So we're going to bask in the glory of the nominations. And hopefully we uh, we clear up at awards season. Yeah, before we get into kind of the ins and outs of the dailies, the question I wanted to ask to kick things off is uh, your role. So obviously, Marco, you're a 2D lead. Sabrina, you're an executive producer. And I think a lot of us know broadly what the role entails. But for those that are kind of uninitiated, could you kind of explain kind of briefly what your roles entail? You know, what is the role of a 2D lead and an executive producer on a typical show? Uh, Perhaps we can start with Sabrina and then Marco. Right. So an executive producer is there to help the strategic planning on a show. So we're there at the very beginning with the client to plan how we're going to, you know, do all the steps and all that. Uh, We're there to support the producers to do their day-to-day job. So uh, executive producers tend to be on multiple shows at once because it doesn't, it doesn't, it's not as involving. But you are the glue that keeps it together, I imagine, Sabrina. I hope so. (laughs) Excellent. Well, beautifully put, Sabrina. And Marco, tell us a bit more about your role. You're our first 2D lead on the podcast. Yeah, so basically, when you are a lead compositor, you know, as the as the name says, you need to lead a team. Basically, uh, these uh, the shows that we work usually are huge. You have like thousands of shots to comp, you know. So what, what the only way to do it is doing different teams, you know, it's splitting all the work in different teams. This team works in this, in this sequence. This team works in the other sequence, and there is usually one or two comp supervisors. And the leads are the, 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 the artists that are behind them, you know, and just trying to help uh, the team and doing all the key shots in the sequence, for example, and all the technical templates that all the team need, needs to use. You know, it's like a small gang of artists and you are the, you know, you are the person, the reference to help them, basically. So the thing you both have in common is very much leadership right, in terms of the glue, both from uh, uh, all those shots that need comping and, of course, the logistics of the show and, and the strategic piece, uh, uh, as you rightly said, Sabrina. So that's really helpful. Thank you. And the other thing that I didn't say at the start is congratulations. I mean, how does it feel to be nominated for such uh, 
high accolades like BAFTAs and Oscars and VES awards. I imagine it's not your first foray into these kind of nominations. That's my assumption. But uh, how does it feel to get those kind of nods? Almost overwhelming, I can say. I think it's uh, it's it's. Yeah, I'm incre- incredibly proud of the team. Is how I've been feeling through all this process. It's like it's. Uh, Eduardo can tell us more about this because Cub had it hard on this one, but it was through blood, sweat, and tears on this one. So I'm just very proud the work can be recognized. In my in my case, the, this is the sixth the sixth movie that I award that is nominated for the Oscar. It's like if you work if you work for a long time in all the big studios, I think at the end you always get this kind of Oscar nominations, you know. But of course, it feels really special, you know, because especially this show was really hard. I worked two years in the show. Normally, you work like six months, seven months in a show, and I never worked so much. It was like two years to to finish the movie, you know. So it was very challenging. And now, of course, the awards are amazing for all the team, you know. It's it's great. It must be such a payoff after so long. I mean, I know how long these shows go on for and the lead time is crazy, isn't it? It's like years and years of your life. You know, you see family members grow up and life changes all the way through the journey of a show. So to get that recognition must be so, like you said, Sabrina, overwhelming. I'm so happy that we get the opportunity to spend an hour with you both because it's uh, one of the uh, the selfish treats I get uh, hosting this podcast. So yeah, we should get into it, shouldn't we? We only have like 45 minutes to an hour to spare and I'm keen to kind of get into the new version of the dailies that we've tweaked just for you. It's nice to, to ask a different set of questions. So I'm going to drop, as always, the Daily's dramatic sound effect. We may find something Top Gun related for this one. I don't know. So we'll see. Here it goes. And we're into the dailies. Now, the first question hasn't been changed because we like to uh, introduce you properly to our, our listeners. And the first question is who, where, what? Who are you? Where are you and what are you working on? So I'm going to start with you, Marco. And the where, what are you working on? You might not be able to talk about, but if you can, we'd love to hear. So, Marco, tell me more. I can. I can. <laughs> <laughs> I can. I can tell where I'm working right now. But I can tell that I, you know, I, I've been working in the industry for 20 years, for a long, long time. And I, the last year was very, very exciting because I was able to work in Top Gun, in the Lord of the Rings for Amazon as well, Loki, like all really, really big projects, you know. It was pretty amazing in Method before Method was acquired by, by Framestore. So it was a very, very busy and, and exciting year. And yeah, this is where I'm, this is the only thing I know how to do. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, basically. So, you know, everything has changed uh, a lot since I started to, to now. But at the end of the day, you know, the results are very similar or what you have to do is very similar. Uh, and, and Sabrina, same question to you. So I still cannot say what I'm working on, but I can say <laughs> I'm working with some of my favorite clients on Disney and Warner Brothers projects. Uh, always quite exciting to uh, to find old clients back. Um, and yes, same same as Marco. I think we worked a lot on the same projects, so it's been it's been exciting couple of years to be able to uh, to work and show what we can do. And in terms of tenure, um, so Marco, you talk about twenty years experience. Is that mostly at Framestore, or is that have you bounced around various studios over the years? A method, of course. No, I've been I've been just yeah yeah I've been I've been you know basically like if you are a VFX artist, you can travel a lot. So I've, I've been following, you know, all the current of VFX work for a long time. I started, th- I'm, I'm from Spain, as you can tell from my, you know, from, <laughs> really? from my accent. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so I started in London, uh, that London was like the, you know, the mecca for VFX when I started. And then after, after that, for a long time, I, I went to Vancouver for the first time. And then from Vancouver, I came to Montreal. So right now, uh, you know, you can say that, Canada is one of the best places in the world to work. It's pretty amazing. Like we, all the VFX artists, it doesn't matter what your level, you get a lot of offers every month. There are so many studios hiring, you know, and it's, it's always exciting. Yeah, it's an exciting time for the industry for sure. And Sabrina, uh, for those idiots out there who haven't listened to your uh, podcast episode, how long have you been uh, in industry and with slash method. So I've been in the industry for about 18 years now. I actually started as an animator, so I've had a, a very different parkour than some people in production. And I wanted to do like Marco and go and work around the world. But then, you know, just as I finished my uh, night classes in my uh, master 
Framestore open its store in Montreal. So I decided to, to stick around and give it a try at Framestore. Um, that was 10 years ago. I had a short stint outside of Framestore when I went to work at Method uh, to work on Top Gun, actually. <laughs> and then to, um, Framestore bought Method back, so I, I'm back home. Brilliant. Welcome back. Welcome back. And yeah, Cracky, we've got so much experience on one podcast, almost 40 years worth of, <laughs> of scrapes, blood, sweat and tears and joy yeah. and award noms. And it's pretty cool. You look great. I mean, if it's, a, it's, it's amazing that we look so good after 20 years in BFX, right? <laughs> <laughs> I get the opportunity to see you face to face. Our listeners don't. I mean, you're, so, you're both a, a vision. <laughs> uh, the industry has been kind to you both, for sure. So back to Top Gun. I mean, uh, just speaking freely, I mean, I watched it just before Christmas and loved it. I mean, I'm a product of the 70s and 80s, so I remember watching the original. And it's rare to watch a sequel that trumps the original, in my personal view. I just thought it was an incredible piece of work and can absolutely see why it's had so many plaudits. I imagine you had crew screenings. I mean, what was the vibe like when you uh, you got to see it? Or was it all kind of COVID restrictions and not as not as buzzy? What was the experience like? So because the release was so long after we finished the movie, yeah, we got to see it. Uh, it was organized by Framestore. We had a, a crew screening. We actually had two theater rooms, which doesn't happen for every movie we work on. So it was really nice to get to see it together. Some old employees came back to watch it. So for me, it was very moving to get to see it on the big screen while we delivered it. All working at home, seeing no pictures on big screens, you know. Yeah, it was almost like the, uh, the one of the first big shows uh, to drop post-COVID, wasn't it? I know there was a few, but it was the first one I remember everybody saying, I'm going to the cinema to see this film. You know, What about you, Marco? Did you go to the same screening? Yeah, something that happened to, to the VFX artists is like when you, we never work with sound. We work only with the, with the image, and we, only, we, we barely see the full edit of the movie. We only see a fragment, the sequence where we are working. So it's absolutely impossible to know if the movie is going to be good or it's going to be cheesy, or it's going to be terrible, you know? So when we were working, we, we knew it looked amazing, of course, but we didn't know if the movie was going to be good. And when we watched it for the first time, I was like, oh my God, it's, you know, it's a, it's a really good movie, it's super entertaining. Like, everybody was a bit shocked, because you never know until, until the movie is done, you know? So it was, yeah, it was a surprise, to be honest. And then, and then you start to see the reviews in Rotten Tomatoes and everywhere, 99% and it was like, ooh, this is going to make a lot of money as, as, it, as it did, $1 billion, you know, it's, it, was, it was super successful. Yeah, yeah, it was funny, isn't it? I mean, I remember going into it because I was never a massive fan of the original. It was always seen as quite a kind of 1980s, quite, um, quite a camp kind of movie. So to, to, to watch it and be absolutely, I mean, I literally watched it with my mother-in-law at Christmas because uh, my wife had fallen asleep on, on the sofa. And uh, we watched it literally the next day again, just because it was just so, so, so good. So the next question in the dailies is a really interesting one, actually, which is what, what kind of brought you to work on Top Gun Maverick? Because again, you know, as a, I don't work within the creative artistic teams or the production team. So I'd love to hear about that journey to being put on the show. Sabrina, tell me a bit about your experience. I was a bit by chance. Like I said, I went to a method to, to work with very specific people. And it turns out that that's where the help was needed. So chance brought me there and I'm really glad it did. Met some extraordinary people. And I think we, we had very good partnership. And what about you, Marco? What brought you to Top Gun? In my case, was uh, well, was was uh, almost the same. I think we have like two or three projects at the same time, and then I talk with my project manager and I I I say my artist manager, I meant, and I said, you know, maybe I would like to work on this because I, you know, I I really like I like you know the planes and it it looked like an interesting movie, but most of the time we don't choose where we work, yeah. you know, so it's a, you need a bit of luck to work on the cool projects, obviously, but in this case, I I think I ask for it a bit. That's nice to hear. That's nice to hear. Because when I wrote the question down, I was like, is it literally just going to be you just scheduled, you know, just the crewing team just go, you're going on that, you're going that. So nice to hear that it was a, a request um, to work on something cool, as you rightly say, which which absolutely, absolutely is. And what's your history with the Top Gun franchise? Because I've talked about obviously a little bit about growing up in the 80s. Marco, you know, what, do you remember where you were when you watched the first Top Gun movie back in the day? Oh my God, it was yeah, a long time ago. I remember in Spain was a was a big hit, you know, like in like everywhere, all the all the girls were completely in love with Tom Cruise at that time, you know. But like it was, I remember my sisters, my friends, everybody like, oh my God, who is this actor? 
it was it was a huge success and uh, I, I remember going to the cinema to watch it and being blown away because everything was done in camera actually like uh, that movie doesn't have any visual effects it's all really shot and done in camera and it was it was you know it was pretty amazing yeah and i definitely want to explore that on this podcast around the as much as it's a bombastic movie with lots of visual effects work. It's kind of your classic invisible effects, isn't it? There's no Marvel style aliens coming down or, you know, big spaceships. It is essentially set in the, you know, arguably the real world. So I'd love to kind of get into that as we start talking about shots and experiences on the show. Yeah, again, I'm with you on that, watching it way back in the day, uh, cinema time. What about you, Sabrina? What's your relationship with Top Gun? So that's that's the, the part I'm ashamed of. I actually watched <laughs> the, the old Top Gun because I was working on the second one. I've never watched it. But uh, the movie I was watching when I was a kid was actually Iron Eagles, which came out about the same time. And that's the one I watch over and over and over. That was my movie when I was a kid. So, you know, I still love the action with the planes and all that. I was still very much attracted to that. I just, Top Gun was just not in my house, didn't know about it. Iron Eagles? Who was in Iron Eagles? Oh, I can't remember that. (laughs) I remember the title, but for the life of me, I can't remember that. But yeah. But yeah, and Tom Cruise still looks good, doesn't he? I mean, you know, God knows how many years later, but um, he's still a bit of a heartthrob, isn't he? It was 30 years. It was meant to be a 30 years anniversary, and it came out, but because of COVID, it got delayed a bit. Um, we're going to get into kind of the, the shots now. Again, we've got a couple of these episodes, uh, and again, uh, I'm not sure to what extent you both kind of crossed over on the show, but what, what shot or shots did you work on? Perhaps, Marco, we can start with, uh, with you. You know, Tell me a bit about what elements of the, the show you, you worked on. So I work mostly on the on the first the first scene on the movie and the last scene. You know, the first scene is when Tom Cruise goes to the space in this future, futuristic plane named the Dark Star, right, Sabrina? It was the Dark Star. That was that was the name, and it was very interesting because most of the shots were like CG, full CG. Some shots they have Tom Cruise shot in a in a studio in a in a in a cockpit, and we need to re- recreate everything around, you know. And that was very very interesting. And then the last part of the movie, of course, when they attack the base, and most of the shots, uh, you know, the actors were in the back seat of the plane, and it was the camera was facing the actors, and it was it was shot that way. So you have a real pilot in the front of the plane, obviously, and the actor behind. And when you look at the camera, it looks like the actor is is alone in the plane, you know. And we have to do a lot of CG, like adding other planes, adding all kind of weapons to the to the wings, uh, all, all kind of stuff, you know, and it needs to look perfect. And it was super challenging to make it look like, you know, like, like it's real. It's interesting you worked on that opening scene because that opening scene wasn't your typical Top Gun scene. It was almost straight out of a science fiction movie, wasn't it? So not just the space element, but just the whole yeah. the whole environment. Yeah, that's probably the, the legacy from, from John Kosinski, the director of the movie, that he's a huge science fiction fan and director. So I'm pretty sure that when the script was the, being developed, he said something about it because that, that first scene, you look at it and it's like, this is a John Kosinski movie, you know? It looks like, you know, like very, very futuristic, like Tron Legacy or other movies he did. So I think that's probably the reason why, you know, it's in the movie. Yeah, even down to kind of the aftermath of that scene when he walks into the, uh, the diner, which is probably my favorite scene in the film, which I thought was brilliant. Um, but yeah, what was the kind of, what was the approach to those shots in terms of, kind of reference material because again it was a big bombastic scene massive massive opener wasn't it but again a lot of invisible work in that respect again it wasn't an obvious visual effects set of shots yeah i'd love to hear more about the the, what went on behind the scenes prepping for that shot so we have to we use a lot of reference of course like nasa reference you know from how but there is a moment where the plane goes out of space and it needs, you know, we have a lot of reference to see what is the look of, you know, the atmosphere, how the clouds look at that altitude, you know. But it was very creative because what we were doing, like you see a plane disintegrating at some point, you know, and you don't have reference for that. There is a moment where the, because it's so hot and there is so much, uh, you know, heat in the atmosphere, the, the plane that Tom Cruise is, is piloting starts to disintegrate, you know. And the, we didn't have any reference from that. I remember looking at reference from factories, how the iron melts, you know, and trying to and working together with CG and effects to trying to replicate that look. So, but it was very creative. And right away, the client started to love it, and it was, you know, it was a lot of work, but it was 
easy to find out, I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, what a great start to any movie. A completely unexpected start to a movie like that and uh, definitely set the tone, didn't it? Did an incredible job on that. That final scene, again, talking about big, bombastic... I'm using the term bombastic a lot. I mean, I never use the term bombastic ever, by the way. <laughs> this is now in my, in my vocabulary. Um, but the uh, the final, obviously, climactic scene when they kind of, you know, take on the mission and, and drop the bomb. And Can you tell us a bit about your approach to that? Because, again, that was another really thrilling ride and incredible bungee set pieces what was the approach to those shots so those shots were the the ones where the planes were real yeah with them in the back yeah as i said before were them in the back and you know again like i think because it was very risky to have two or three planes together every time you see several planes the one is real and the rest are cg you know and the problem when you work in a movie that has a creature or is science fiction, I, it, you know, you, you don't have reference because it's all fantasy, but in this movie, everybody has seen planes all the time, you know, so it, it was very hard to make it look like a lot of grading, a lot of, you know, tr- compositing and tricks to make it look great, you know, and the CG look amazing, of course, but we have to really, really, you know, put the shot in the, in the, in the scenes and make it look real. I'm not preaching to the choir here. You don't notice any CG in the film, do you? That's the beauty of it is, you know, that's the, the litmus test of incredible VFX is that you don't notice any of it and you just, you, you're just on board for the ride and you and the team absolutely pulled that off. Um, Sabrina, tell us a bit about your experience working on the shots that you worked on. What were you involved with? So obviously as a producer, I got the chance to, to oversee what our VFX supervisors had held the, the entire uh, movie that uh, the entire portion of the movie we worked on uh, so that was great and you know I really enjoyed that last sequence that Marco worked on as well because it was all in the micro details right we had the best reference ever we could use because they really shot everything and then we had to enhance it um, you know changing the I'm, 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 I remember us working on the window the cockpit, you know, that glass and those micro fine scratches for us to never question the image. Like you say, you never question that it's CG and it was all in those micro details. So that was, uh, that was really exciting. Personally, I really liked the training sequence when before the mission, when they're, they're learning to train and they are in the desert. I really liked that sequence, uh, those sequence actually. Um, it was, a, it was a lot of fun work a lot of really cool explosions also that that was fun for the team to work on um and it was all very different part of the work so we got to explore a lot that's super cool that's super cool yeah following following with uh, what sabrina said about the micro details for example you know the heat distortion when you see a plane you see this kind of heat distortion in the background we spent i don't know how many weeks and weeks and weeks to make that look real you know like it was, I remember like working only on the heat distortion of the planes until we were able to to make it look real. And the client just, he, he went to YouTube and checked, oh no, it's not looking the same, you know, because it, they have a real reference to, and I want, and I want it to look exactly like that. So we spent so many, so long, you know, just in the heat distortion. So that gives you an idea about the, the detail, you know, that we, we put on it. Yeah, yeah. And I guess, is that a typical approach for, you know, films that require so much invisible VFX, you know, that the detail has to be absolutely on point. Otherwise, you know, as soon as people see through, audiences see through the VFX, then I guess that you've lost them from a storytelling perspective. Is that fair to say? I think so. And I think very often people will see some things wrong, so they're not going to believe it without being able to tell, oh, the heat distortion is wrong. You know, like they're not going to be able to, to say what's wrong, but it's it's things that we've seen so much by seeing real footage of planes over and over that you kind of can tell it's not real. But, so we had to do a lot of homework. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I, again, I could spend a lot of time on this because I'm, I'm fascinated by the, the, the pre-work that goes into this and the, the, re, the reference and the research and the, the real life stuff and you know the, the, the logistics. But we've got 13 questions to get through and we're leaking time literally as we're continuing. Um, but I'd love to hear more about the the team you're working with. Again, getting a bit of an insight into the people, and this is a really a great opportunity to you know name check anybody. But just to kind of get a sense of the team, perhaps we can start with you, Sabrina. You know, tell me a bit about about the, the folks that made up the the squad that you were working with. 
So not a lot of name dropping to do, but there, there's Seth Hill that was our um, VFX supervisor, who's one of the nominees, so we're extremely proud of him. Otherwise, you know, it was just a group of very passionate people. Everyone was very excited to be working on this specific project, and everyone brought a lot to the table, you know, by their motivation and by their excitement. So it was very good, and I got to meet a lot of new people because I was new to that company. And, you know, I, I was just surprised by how, how some of these people have been working together for many years through Atomic Fiction and the Method and now Framestore. And it was just good to see them working together and just to be welcoming to me. So it was a good experience. You know, that, like, like we talked about leadership at the top of the episode. On any show, I imagine there's lots of people that have responsibility to lead. I mean, both you, for, you guys, for example, but there'd be obviously lots of different levels of leadership on, on that show. You know, was, did that play a big part in the team spirit on the show because you know there'd be a real mixture of people doing this from home and can you tell me a bit about that team spirit and where that came from what generated that so the the movie was all shot pre-covid and we were actually meant to deliver in march 2020 we were almost done when this hit and it it just slowed us down and when they knew the movie was no longer coming out in june 2020 then we've extended a little further so we ended up delivering in july 2020 so it was such the beginning of the pandemic that for personally, I did not feel the beginning of the pandemic. We were just in a rush of delivering. And it was a bit weird because we were from home, but I was not, like, I didn't feel the restriction as, as much because I was working so much. Um, so that it was a very different approach for for us to the beginning of the pandemic, I think. What about you, Marco? What was your experience working with the team? You talked about all the all the various artists and compositors working on the show that you were leading. Yeah, basically, like we are, I mean, we, the team that we work, like we all know each other from other projects, you know, so we were, we were like six leads, six, six compositing leads, and we all know each other from a long time, you know, and then the compositors is the same. At the end, you have like these relationships. There is always new people coming, but I would say 75% is people that you know from other projects, and you need to know who is strong with what, you know, like some some person is amazing with color, but is not that good with other things. You know, you need to know uh, who assigned the shots to. At the end, I think that everybody realized that the movie was was really fun and the shots were, look amazing. That's always that all the artists want. They, they, they see the place and they're like, oh my God, I want to work in this shot. So that's why people was passionate because it was very nice to look at just the plate without VFX, you know, and people was very motivated. It's really nice to hear that. We've had a few of these podcast episodes already and we talk a lot about passion and nobody really works in the visual effects industry unless they care about the output and what what ends up on big screens, small screens, tablets, wherever you, you catch your media. Yeah, yeah, a team that are truly passionate about the project. You know, they don't have their arms twisted to work on a a property that they don't care for but when you're working on something that is an absolute passion and you know you're onto something big again must be really empowering for the teams that you both led very true and uh, the first time i've seen that in my career was on blade runner 2049 which had the result we all know now but it was it was a game changer to to be able to go it was so easy to go the extra length you know when people are so passionate and they want the movie to be so good um, it, it makes our job in production so much easier. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Happy people for sure. And two, I mean, two plus years working on a show. I mean, again, I talk about this a lot on the podcast, but you must form great new relationships, but almost, you know, embellish existing relationships. That's a lot of time to spend with people, isn't it? Sabrina, on the episode that you were on, I mean, you talked about it essentially being kind of like a second family. I mean, it must be hard to kind of almost come off those shows and go on to other shows with different different crews and get quite melancholy and kind of miss the teams you work with for such a long period of time. Are you both hardened to it because you've been in the game for so long? Um, I can speak to that a little bit. It's it's definitely hard. There's some people you see, like you said, every day they become family and then, you know, you get split onto different projects or they even leave the company, you know. So I'm thinking of uh, Amanda that used to be at Framestore that came with me at Method to work on Top Gun again. Um, and then she left uh, the industry altogether. She's now in the gaming industry. And it's for, for the first few weeks, you know, it's like, oh, where's Amanda? <laughs> like, I want to see her. Um, and there's other people, like you say, that you, you, you get to find again into other projects. And it's just you can, you can hit it off right away because you already have that relationship. Um, so you go through fire together and then you can, you can do anything. 
that's a problem, no? Like basically, it's like a small family, but right now it's so much work in general in VFX. People go to another company just because, you know, I don't know, because it's 20 minutes closer to his home or whatever. So it's difficult to keep working with the same people, you know? Like every, everybody moves a lot in VFX, basically. That's always been the case, isn't it? From my experience working in the industry is that there's a lot of movement, but there's a, there's a community there. Just because somebody moves on, it doesn't mean you're not going to cross paths again. We've touched on this already. Obviously, we talked about award nominations for Top Gun Maverick. You know, what, in your personal opinion, makes this show kind of award worthy? Because again, you know, what makes it, you know, so many great shows out there that didn't get nominated, right? But what makes this particular show stand out, do you think? Um, Marco, do you want to take that? So I, I think that it's just the, you know, the photorealism, you know, of the, of the effects. Uh, and usually the, the, academy, the, the academy, they really like the movies that they help tell the story. So we have a lot of examples of movies like, for example, uh, Ex Machina or Hugo, you know, they, they won the VFX, the, the, you know, the Oscar for the VFX and they don't have a lot of VFX shots, but they look amazing and, and they really help tell the story. So I guess when a movie has like really, really good uh, photorealistic uh, VFX and invisible VFX, they have a lot of chances to, you know, to get the awards because that's what, you know, the Academy likes, I think, in this case. That's interesting. Thank you, Marco. What's your take on that, Sabrina? I would agree with Marco, and I really think, you know, they did shoot everything. That's phenomenal. And then we help enhance it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, ma I'm making quotation mark, but they just had two F-18 and the movie needed other planes. So we needed to replace them uh, or needed to add some, like Marco said, but they still shot everything. So it, it that has to be recognized in some way. And I think through VFX, improving what they've done, which was phenomenal to start with, um, is the right place to go. And I think like Marco, that the Academy loves this type of work, you know, um, where I think the VES will go and recognize the advance, the technology advancements that a project brought to the, the v, uh, VFX scene, you know, so I think Avatar will probably go with this one. But I think the Oscar uh, Top Gun is actually a pretty strong contender. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really interesting. And yeah, so the only two F-18s, yes. real life F-18s. Yes. That's cool. But again, this is a one of the many joys I have of this podcast is I get to find this stuff out. And I probably should have known that in the research that I did. But wow, there's a whole gang of planes in that film. Again, again, that speaks volumes to what you both said, creating that real world environment with all of those machines, those vehicles, and just had two physical assets just sitting on the, on the runway. That's incredible. So taking that experience away, a long time ago now, you're both working on new shows and properties. Looking back over your, your time on uh, Top Gun Maverick, what new learnings did you take away from working on the show? You know, what did you take away to bring to new, new shows? Uh, Sabrina, if you want to kick us off. Personally, it was client management. I think I've learned a lot on that show for that because it was the beginning of the pandemic and a lot of that, there was a lot of managing their expectations, finding risk, communicating those risks and all that. And it gave me tools uh, to be able to manage that I still use today to help me manage clients' expectation. And to, to at some point, they were so detailed oriented and rightly so, but we were getting a, what I did call the 40% approval rate. So for everything we sent, they only approved 40%. Um, and that's just too low for us to get to the finish line on time, you know? So I came up with this system to be able to to kind of put it back on them to be like, we need to work together to get us through the fish, finishing line. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it just got me some, some interesting tools. That's interesting, 40%, wow. So you had to exercise some uh, true collaboration skills and a lot of positive, uh positive effect in those conversations to try and keep those the relationships burning exactly and you don't want to get into a blaming game territory either so to do that early enough makes it a collaboration um, which would be really nice and one thing i'm learning through all of these conversations is it's all about problem solving and you know yeah 40 percent that's fine right what can we do to improve that let's work together let's communicate let's keep the show on the road rather than kind of you know taking your ball back and <laughs> going home uh, so I think that's a, that's a really strong learning, actually. Thank you, Sabrina. Uh, Marco, what, what was your takeaway from the, uh, the show and what do you utilize today? Um, I, learned, I learned a lot about how to lead a, you know, a team because at some point we have a lot of artists. I remember I was leading, I don't know, like 15 or 20 artists at some point. So that, that's a lot for 
considering that we have like six leads. And I remember just learning how to do one key shot, you know, and showing all my artists how to how to match that key shot. And, you know, it was very interesting. At the end of the show, I, I didn't open, I don't think I opened Nuke at the end, you know. I was just like managing the artists and reviewing because you really don't have time. And, and you know, I, I really learned a lot about, about that gave me the skill to lead other shows like that big, you know, in the future. That's a big, a big team, isn't it? It's nice you talk about kind of management and leadership as the big takeaway as on a, on a show like that, because uh, again, somebody with your your amount of experience to still take away learnings from shows when it comes to people management, I think is is a really strong point to make. You know, what was the what was the secret? Do you think to managing that team well, in your opinion, Marco? I think I don't know, just like uh, you know, a bit of sense of humor, obviously, and don't don't panic. If you work with a lead or a supervisor that is always panicking and is really you know very serious, people don't have confidence. So you need to be you know a bit funny and just just you know it's all it's all a it's all a game after all. You know, like you need to you need to realize that we are doing cool movies and we get paid. We are so lucky that work on on this industry. Many people complain about VFX, but. At the end, you know, it's a, it's a joy to be able to work on these shows. I think that's that's the trick, you know, like basically have a bit of sense of humor and project confidence to the team. Even if the deadline is, is the deadline is right is coming and everything is panicking, try to relax about it. Yeah, yeah, that's a real skill to instill that sense of humor into what is, I imagine, quite a high-pressured situation and show and, you know, tight deadlines. And as Sabrina said, you know, you've got the client relationships to juggle as well. So keeping the team motivated through that approach, I think, is really strong. Really, really strong. Great answers, guys. We're doing well. We're doing well. Good. (laughs) (laughs) We've talked a bit about the shots and uh, the reference and, and, and what went on behind the scenes. But where was the creative influence coming from? Because a lot of people think it comes from the supervisor or the supervisors, or is it the director? Or in this case, you know, we, we hear a lot about kind of Tom Cruise's influence. I mean, for, from your perspective, where was the, the creative influence coming from? Uh, Sabrina, do you want to start with that one off? I think it was a group effort on this one. There was obviously a lot of coming from, you know, the client side. So, you know, Tom Cruise, aka TC, uh, or, or Ryan Tuttle, which was our overall uh, VFX supervisor or the director. But we also suggested a lot of reference on our end. So, and I remember artists coming up to our supervisors, I'm like, look, look what I found online. And then we would propose that for the client and they would go for it. So it was everyone participating into the final result. So it was really interesting. Yeah, yeah, and that speaks to what you were talking about earlier, Sabrina, around that collaboration, for sure. Um, Marco, what was your take on that? Similar or different? Yeah, it's similar. I agree on that, that, you know, most of the time the director, of course, and Tom Cruise in this case, they have the final award. But we, I think I remember that we we show them a lot of tests, a lot of, you know, I think Seth, Seth Hill, the supervisor, he really likes that, you know, to show to the client different options so they choose. So it was a bit of brainstorming, I think. Uh, even the director is the one that decides, I like this. We, we send, I remember, a lot of tests, you know, about how the heat distortion looks or how, you know, how the cockpit looks, you know, small details until they say, I like this or I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'd love to get a window into that experience because, again, when you're working so hard on these these shots and then it goes off for approval, I mean, how does it work? How long, how long do you have to wait to get that feedback? Or is it happening in real time? Are you sitting in essentially like a daily session with the client? How did, how did it work? On Top Gut specifically, we had calls every day with Ryan. Um, so we had almost live feedback. Um, and I think Ryan was talking to the director every day, every other day. Uh, type thing and Tom, Tom Cruise one was once a week so most of the feedback we got very quickly and then sometimes we had a bit of a return of actually we're going to change this because Tom has another idea um, so almost real time so moving on from that question again we talked we talked about learnings and uh, the good stuff you took away from that show but is there anything looking back if you could repeat it again get in that time machine and uh, do it all again is there anything you would have done differently Marco Mm, no, I don't think so. I think, no, I think I, I wouldn't change uh, anything, you know, like, no, not really. I think I'm, I mean, everybody's happy, obviously, with, with the results. So, no, I, I wouldn't change anything. Brilliant. Okay, great, great. Shortest answer I've ever had to that question. Love it. What about you, Sabrina? Um, almost the same, actually. The only 
uh, I wouldn't call it a regret, but things that I taught afterwards, I was like, mm, I should have. Um, was I was new to the company, right? So there were things I was like, I'm not sure about this way of managing or scheduling. And I was like, but I'm new. I'm not going to be the new girls. I was like, we're going to change everything, you know. But I, two months in, I was like, ah, I should have. And now it's too late because we were too too deep into it. So when I joined, we were just starting to be getting shots. Um, so it would have been the time to adjust the way we would manage. And we could have just did it a bit more smooth, smoothly. So you could have made a few tweaks. But overall, sounds like a great I mean, it's the reason why it's uh, got all of these award award noms is, uh, you know, it was the perfect show to work on, which leads me neatly to the next question, which is, and again, we've touched on this already, but did you, did you know you were working on something special at the time? Marco, you touched on this a little bit earlier when you were talking about, you know, people wanting to work on it, but as you were going through it, were you like, wow, this is, this is a big one? Yeah, not at all. Not at all. Like, I, as I said before, because we only see a fragment of the movie and we don't have sound or whatever, we, we thought, oh, this is, this, you know, this is looking, the place looking incredible and it's going to be a good looking movie. But we didn't, we, we thought it was going to be, I don't know, like cheesy or whatever, because you, you don't know. It's like, oh my God, Tom Cruise, you know, again with the girls, you know, like we didn't know if it was going to be good or not. You know, it's, it's really hard to know. Yeah, I have friends that they work on the Matrix, for example, the first Matrix movie that was one of the most successful VFX movies ever. And while, while we were working on the movie, they were thinking, oh my God, what is this? This is going to be a disaster yeah. <laughs> because it's impossible to know when you are only looking at one fragment of the movie, right? That's so interesting that you don't see all the shots. I mean, I guess I assume there's sound there, but of course it's not, right? I mean, that work's not been done yet. So it must be such a, again, I touched on this at the start, such an experience to see your shots with the narrative and the storytelling and the vocals and the music and explosions and the, you know, it must have been, yeah, I can't imagine what that feel, that must feel like, genuinely. What about you, Sabrina? Uh, same as Marco, we had no idea. I think I think we all knew it would be some sort of a commercial success because it's Top Gun and, you know, nostalgia and all. Um, for me, it, I knew we had something, but we we were long delivered, and it, it's it was when I went back in theater for the first time. I'm I'm not gonna say post pandemic because we were still very much in it, but the theaters were opening again, and the trailer was in front of Dune, so it was an IMAX screen, and then the tra- the trailer came on. I was like, wow, like we we were we were we finished this a year ago, but wow, does this look good? It's holding up, and I was like. Oh my! And then I started to keep up with articles coming out talking about the movie and the excitement. And then when the movie came out, I was like, "Okay, no doubts. We're gonna keep hearing about this movie in the next few months." <laughs> but I have to, I have to say, Sabrina, that the moment, the moment where we knew that we were working on something special was with the first trailer. Remember, we did a trailer. It was only light seven shots or eight shots like really really small trailer and in youtube it had oh my god like i don't know like how many millions of views and everybody in youtube was commenting oh my god i want to see that and we were like oh oh you know this is going this is going to be good because the expectations were massive but then covid covid came and the movie was in a can for almost one year and people forgot about the movie you know so when it was released it, it that started again, you know. So it was it was like a roller roller coaster, you know, of expectations. I think. And that trailer came out the week Tom Cruise said, "There is no CGI." <laughs> sadly, sadly. <laughs> that was that was so funny. I remember, like, it was so funny. Like they they really for many many months they were like, no no no, everything is in camera. Tom Cruise learned how to you know how to fly the plane you know and then after that it's like okay maybe there are a few vfx you know <laughs> that was super funny just 2400 shots exactly exactly <laughs> yeah that's amazing that's amazing uh, well i'm going to move into the next question which is uh and, and it's a funny one people don't like naming uh mvps most valuable players um, but it's more for unsung heroes really because when we get to these kind of nominations we'll hear about obviously ryan and you know the soups on, on the job but who were your unsung heroes on the show, Sabrina? So many people. <laughs> uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with the completes, I think. Uh, so the six completes that Marco was mentioning about. Um, I remember Cynthia, Felix, Nico, you know, like 
so many hours and so much hard work to lead that team into such a back-ended schedule and until the beginning of a pandemic. So, so much harder to help them, um, you know, deliver the product. Um, and I think, I think they did marvelously well. Thank you. Thank you, Sardina. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Marco? Anyone you want to shout out? I would say all the artists, like everybody, you know, from the from the junior artists that, you know, it's a starting and we get him an easy sword to the, all the seniors, like, yeah, everybody, of course. Uh, I mean, everybody worked really hard. So, you know, I, I don't have any names in particular. I think the whole thing was, was amazing. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. And every, from everything you've said. Sabrina was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Present company accepted, of course. But yeah, that's great. And I think, yeah, I'm getting a real sense of uh, it being a really great team effort, team spirit. You know, everybody came together and, and, and delivered something incredible. The, the nominations are, are so well deserved. So again, congratulations uh, to, to both of you and, and the whole team. I think it's, uh, it's massive. Uh, whatever happens, we should be really, really proud. My next question, we're moving into the last couple of questions before we wrap up this episode. But I always ask this on all of the podcast episodes is uh, what's one question you wish I'd asked you? And how would you have answered it? Uh, Marco, what do you wish I'd asked you about the show? Any anecdotes or any experiences that you'd like to share? Yeah, no, I, I just, I just want to talk again about Tom Cruise saying that there are no VFX in the movie. That's, that's something that is, <laughs> I thought that you were going to ask us about that, you know, because that, that, was, that was really so funny. Like, it was like, how many months? It was like, you know, every time he was talking, you know, it was like, no, there's no VFX at all, you know? And at the end, you know, that, that's, that's, that's something that I always like to, to tell about this movie because I found it very interesting about how photoreal it looks, you know. And you believe him. You believe Tom Cruise because he does all his own stunts anyway, doesn't he? So he's a big... Uh... Yeah, but, that, that's, but if you work on VFX, you know that he does the stunts, but uh, there is some VFX work always in, in his movies, you know. I mean, he says that, but... Nobody can fly a plane upside down on top of another jet, and yeah. Of course, you know that's that's the you know the marketing around him, of course. But you know, we we know that there is always a bit of VFX when he does a stunt, <laughs> somehow. Nice, nice. Well, let's, let's hope he's let's hope he's listening. I'm sure he's a regular uh, subscriber to the Frame Store podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. You never know. We don't know what the reach is. What about you, Sabrina? What's one question you wish I'd asked you about your experience on Top Gun Maverick? It's really funny because I, I wanted to bring up the same thing as Marco because it's true and it, it impacted us till very recently. Like weeks before the Bake Off for the Oscar, Ryan was still not allowed to talk about it and the, all the work that we've done on the on the project. So, but that to me, to me, when and you know, we almost printed our crew T-shirt being no CGI was involved in Top Gun. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, because it was sensitive, we asked Paramount and they were like, yeah, maybe not. But the way I tried to sell it for us to be able to print that T-shirt was, it's a huge testament to our work that you think you can say that. It's amazing. And I think, it, it you know, it's a huge tap on the back on, for the, everyone that worked on the movie. That's like, your work is so amazing. We're lying, <laughs> saying there's no CG involved. Yeah. And, and what, how many shots again were, were on the show? 2,400 total. So we did about 720, 720 750 at Method. MPC took that too. Because at the beginning, the original bid was only 350 shots. That's what they thought they needed. <laughs> um, and then so our workload doubled. We said yes. And then it doubled from that double and then we said okay we don't have capacity so mpc took that they were referencing our shot essentially it was more of the same and then the in-house team did about thousand shots of like retime little paints a little little this um so yeah it's a lot 2400 wow so quite a lot of vfx then yes <laughs> <laughs> a lot excellent so again, another question we ask, because it is the Framestore podcast, it's a special episode, but we're asking the same question um, as I've got both of you on here. Um, on the podcast going forward, is there any Framestore folk you would like to hear on this podcast, uh, Marco? Do you mean any, any person in particular? Anyone from the whole of Framestore globally? I don't know. I, I, I love uh, the movie Gravity. Uh, I don't know if uh, one of the comps was Anthony Smith. I worked I work with him many, many, many years ago, but I don't know if he's in Framestore or not. I, I love that movie. I, I, I would love to listen a podcast about, about Gravity or him or any other person that was involved in the, in the show because I, I adore that movie, you know. 
that's a that's a, a great um, stake in the ground for VFX work as well, where it's literally only the faces are real and the rest is CG, isn't it? It's amazing. There is not there is not any podcast about gravity, no? Or in... No, well, maybe we should be the first. There must be some podcasts on gravity, surely. Um, no, I mean, I mean in Framestore. I mean the Framestore oh, podcast. No, oh no, not yet. No, no, no. We we talk, we've talked we've spoken about gravity on a few podcasts, but we've not had anybody on that worked on it. So that's a really good call. Thank you, Marco. Sabrina, I know I've asked you this question before, but um, you're welcome to give me another name. I'm going to go with a different answer that will surf Marco's wave a little bit. So why not Chris Lawrence, who was the CG soup of Gravity, who's now client side. He's been at Framestore forever. I think it would be interesting to hear him about how the company changed over the years because it, it, grew, it grew a lot since, uh, since then. Okay, I'm have to get a gravity special together, I think. <laughs> Definitely. Thank you both. Thank you. Um, so final question before I, I let you go about your very busy, busy day and busy schedule. So thank you again for making the time to do this, Marco and Sabrina, is uh, if you were a character in Top Gun Maverick, what would be your call sign? We actually already have call signs. Yes, yes. <laughs> but I don't, I, don't, I don't remember mine. Oh, no. You remember yours? I don't remember yours. I remember mine because Seth gave me that name and it's mic drop. And it was related to how I would reply to the client with sometimes stupid requests. And I would be very much like, it's this. And then I would mic drop and then leave. Um, so that was my call sign. Mic drop. Sabrina, mic drop. And you're Lieutenant Sabrina. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. What about you, Mark? If you can't remember it, what would you go with? I will go for something pretty obvious, like something like a Spaniard or something like that, you know, like the like the, the, the gladiator character, you know, Spaniard. That's, uh, yeah, that's pretty pretty obvious, <laughs> but right now I can think of That's all right, I can, I can see the emblem now. <laughs> I think Seth kept the volleyball, because we had a volleyball of the MVP of the week, if I can say, and then everyone had to sign it with their call sign. And I remember you, Marco, winning that MVP before the pandemic hit. So your call sign is somewhere on there. So we just need to ask. I, I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, we need to ask Seth about it. <laughs> well, let me know and we'll, uh, we'll, correct, we'll correct it in the, uh, the outro, the pre-recorded outro at the end of the episode. And we'll uh, <laughs> we'll we get go. your official, official call sign out there, Marco. There is a, uh, a Top Gun uh, call sign generator on the internet that you can do as well. Mine is downtown. I'm not sure what that's about. Lieutenant, Lieutenant Simon, downtown Deborah. But, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that on the podcast. I'll edit that out. Pretty good. That brings us neatly to the end of this episode. Again, thank you both so much for making the time. I know how busy it is at the moment. It's a real treat for me, and I'm sure it will be for our, our regular listeners as well. Um, so thank you so much. And again, congratulations. It's a really exciting time for Framestore and, and your team. So uh Fingers crossed we uh, take away some uh, some gold and silver for the trophy cabinet. Fingers crossed. Very hard. Thank you. Thank you and take care and uh, yeah, hopefully see you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Well, that wraps up today's first Top Gun Maverick special episode. What a great pairing and insight into what it was like working on the show. It just leaves me to thank Sabrina and Marco for being wonderful and generous guests. And of course, thanks to you for listening. We're back on Thursday, where we meet compositors Nicholas Lim Tuck Lee and Shay Lin C for our second Top Gun special. See you then. You don't want to miss this one.